This man was the greatest special teams player of all time. Steve Tasker for the touchdown, his second of the game. What a play by Steve Tasker. Is he about the best special teams player in the league? Many would argue he is. He had the block punt in the Super Bowl. <laughs> yeah, I love what Steve Tasker is doing. I mean, here's the guy that just... He was chasing kicks all of his life. You guys are out of your territory over here as special teams guys, aren't you? Welcome to the next episode of What's Next with Eric Wood, presented by Green Remedy. Our next guest is Steve Tasker. Steve Tasker was a wide receiver in the NFL. He played 13 seasons. He was a seven-time pro bowler and a five-time all-pro. He was the only special teamer to ever be named the MVP of the Pro Bowl. He played football in college, but after only playing rugby for about six weeks, he was the MVP of the Big Ten Tournament. That shows you what type of athlete Steve was. Steve has done broadcast work for CBS since he finished playing and now does daily radio for the Buffalo Bills on the show One Bills Live. Steve is a great husband and father, and you will learn a great amount through this podcast. Enjoy. We are pleased to welcome to the show Roger Hayes from Green Remedy CBD in Louisville, Kentucky. And Green Remedy has been an excellent sponsor for us and a big supporter of this podcast. So we want to welcome Roger to the show and allow him to start off by telling us what is the main benefit or benefits that people are seeing from using Green Remedy CBD products. Hey, Eric, it's great to be here. Uh, Thanks for having me in um we appreciate you love your podcast and get a lot of great comments on it you know when when people talk about cbd and why they take it with this endocannabinoid system that we all have in our bodies there's many different reasons but i would say that top three reasons are for pain for anxiety and then sleep and not necessarily in those orders but it's probably hard to think of anybody that doesn't have one or two or all three of those things going on in your life, especially with some of the folks that that you have on your show. Absolutely. And and that's one of the reasons why I originally reached out to you was because I have always struggled with sleep and then obvious pain from playing many years of football. This, uh, this, the products that I've used from green remedy have been a tremendous help. And, and what has now become a very competitive market in the CBD space what separates Green Remedy as a company? Oh, wow. That's a question we get all the time, and it's, it's an easy one. You know, it's that whole seed-to-shelf product. Anything that we're going to put inside of our bodies or on our bodies, we're best when we know where it came from, where is the source of those ingredients. So, Eric, as you know, with Green Remedy, we've been growing on our farm since 2014 when this first became legal. And we're seed to shelf. We grow it. We harvest it. We sing to it. We're nice to it. We harvest it and process it and bottle it and ship it out to our customers all across the country. That is the biggest difference. That's incredible. And and that's exactly why I love the products. And I can't encourage people enough to try them out. And that's Green Remedy CBD at greenremedy.com. When you check out, use code EWOOD70 and you'll get 10% off your online order. Thanks for joining the show, Roger. Thank you, Ed. Keep up the good work. Steve, welcome to the show. Thanks, man. It's good to be here. Absolutely. We are sitting here on the on the heels of my first preseason game that I'm covering here tonight. So we're sitting at the Bills facility right now. Pretty special to sit down with longtime Bills great Steve Tasker. He'll be covering the game tonight on the TV coverage. I'll be on the radio coverage. So pretty cool that we get to sit down here today. And we'll start off on this podcast like we do with many of them. Tell me about growing up in Kansas, what sports you were into through high school. Yeah, I was, um, I was the youngest of four sons. And so I had three older brothers and, uh, uh, they were all sports kids, and, and in Kansas at that time, in the in the part of the state where I was kind of growing up, um, there was football in the fall, basketball and wrestling in the winter, and track and field in the summer. There was no baseball uh, in the schools that I went to and stuff. I and I participated in football, basketball, and ran track and field, and and I grew. I started playing football in seventh grade, middle school, and uh, played all the way through uh, high school. 
and I went to a community college at Dodge City, and uh, all of that was, you know, it was it was great. I mean, I and basketball was a, a blast. Uh, I, I enjoyed playing basketball. I was, I, you know, I was five eight when I was a senior in high school. So I was going to say, did you grow early? Power you? forward, you know. So it, it was a small rural town, you know, and you know all the kids played every sport. So it was a lot of fun. And uh, but my older three older brothers, I had uh, two of them that played Division three or NAIA football. Um, one of them played community college baseball a little bit. They were all we were all athletic and loved doing it, and and it's something I've always, I always did. Um, and you know, late in or in my high school career, I decided you know if I could, I would help see if I could get some ath- my athletic ability to try and help me get through school and pay for some college. And ultimately, it did. So it was just something everybody did when I grew up. You always played all the sports, and um, and it, it luckily for me, I was good enough to have it help me get to college absolutely and and i have this conversation with many people and i won't bore the listeners with it again but i can't emphasize how how much how much value comes in playing all the sports yeah. you know all the all the skills translate you don't get burnout you don't get over over um use injuries right. and, and i can't stress that enough but you start your college career at Dodge City Community College and then transfer to New York, Northwestern. Right. Play well enough, you get picked in the ninth round of the Houston Oilers. But I read something recently about you playing rugby at, at your time yeah. in Northwestern. Just one year. It was after I was a fifth-year guy. So I stayed or I got redshirted um, and like in my junior year or senior year, my normal senior year, and I came back for a fifth year, something like that. And uh, after the, the season was over, I, my studies were done. I had graduated in January right after the football season. I hung around the campus wrong, and I, and I got on with the, uh, the um, uh, rugby team. Uh, and I did it to stay in shape for NFL scouts. Back then, uh, they did have the combine, but it was, it was like the second year the combine had ever been up and running. And, you know, I didn't get invited. And so it was customary and commonplace that, scouts would come into chicago and they'd they'd tool around the big 10 schools or and you know and all the other schools that happen to be around and just drop in and say hey can i run the kid you know whatever they just do it individually and i'd have one scout one week and another scout another week or you know this scout on thursday and this scout on monday what that kind of thing so i i needed to stay in shape and stay sharp to kind of be ready in case one of these guys parachuted in on a day and i get 24 hours notice right so um and one of the guy that the guys there said, "Hey, we why don't you come out and play rugby? We practice three, four times a week. It'll you know keep your ball skills and stuff, and you'll be running with us, and we'll stay in shape, and you'll be on the field doing stuff." And I was like, oh, "Yeah, great, sounds fun." Because I didn't know anything about it, so I go out and rugby is for those who don't know, it's it's a it's a sport a little bit like a cross between soccer and football. Ball's never out of play, and you're always moving around trying to get in position to either defend and tackle or get the ball and run you know uh it's a great sport for inst- for developing instincts with the ball in your hand and without the ball in your hand uh there's no blocking allowed in rugby the ball the guy with the ball is supposed to be the front guy of your team so right. he follows him so if he gets tackled he just drops it back to the next guy and he runs you know uh that's basically it so you have to stay on side which means behind the ball all that stuff stacked together uh, was a blast to play. I was playing with, you know, dentist, dental students and right. business majors and, you know, accountant majors and, you know, that kind of stuff. Uh, we'd go down and play. Um, we, we went to the Big Ten tournament. I, we played in a couple of matches before the Big Ten tournament. And, I mean, total, I only played eight matches my entire career. But we'd go down to the Big Ten tournament and, you know, we're in there with Purdue and Illinois and Michigan and Ohio State and all these teams. And it's all club teams. It's nothing varsity, nothing – uh, sanctioned, mm-hmm. but they all have real strong rugby. It's a real great big subculture that I didn't know anything about. So we go down and we make it all the way to the finals of the rugby f- of, of the tournament against Illinois. Illinois is literally they got like ninety guys on their roster. Wow! Uh, you know you can only play that many. You know fifteen guys aside, but they had ninety guys and they were you know they had tons of guy. It was fun. They were having a blast and we were too. It was a great it was a great scene. And we get to the finals against them. They beat us, like, in a narrow game, 12 to 6 or something like that. At the end of it, I get voted the MVB, most valuable back in the Big Ten tournament. For and, playing eight yeah, total I, matches. That was in my eighth total match of the whole thing. Um, 
it was it was so fun. It was a great, great little stretch in my college life that, you know, a lot of people don't know about. But for me, it was one of the fun little episodes. It was didn't last very long. It was maybe literally maybe a six week period or eight week period during my last year at Northwestern uh, in the spring. Um, had just an absolute blast. Dude. Yeah, and in prepping for this interview, that's something that stuck out to me as something that separated you. And without blocking in rugby, I don't think there'd be much use for a guy like me out there. But for a guy who's There's a lot of guys like you out there, it's it's great. Well, it's maybe great. now at yeah, yeah. two fifty five, two sixty, <laughs> but not at three oh five. I, w- I wouldn't have had much value out there, but. What kind of you know? There's a lot of skills that would translate, and you mentioned having the ball in your hands. But for a special teamer to learn how to tackle in open space, then get the ball in your hands, you know, you're returning kicks. It's almost like a cross training between the two things that you were so good at. And I understand it was only a six week period, but there had to be some value that came from that. There was. I had a lot to learn because in rugby, you know, it's more of a of a pull down and a wrestle down tackle than it is uh, like a football where you, back in the old days where you're leading with your head and shoulders and coming in and taking the guy out. I, I had a tough lesson I had to learn. I came in, and I, and I was trying to learn how to do it, and we, were, we decided we were going to play a little live rugby in practice one day, and um, I went in to tackle a guy, and I tackled him high up around the shoulders and, and twisted him around and pulled him down, kind of down on top of me, and his shoe, the sole of his shoe, this is just a little old plastic. You know, the kid was you know, like a dental student or something. He had plastic cleats or whatever. And I pulled in this, the sole of his shoe snapped and went like that. And I thought, I thought, well, that's weird, you know. And I got up and he was kind of laying across me and he was like, oh. And I looked down and his knee was up like at my chest and it went down to his foot. And between his knee and his foot, there was another knee. His, oh. It wasn't his sole, the shoe breaking, it was his leg breaking. Yeah, I did that in 09. I know that sound. Right. Yeah, you know. It sounded so crisp and clean that it, it, you didn't equate it with what it really was. And that was both his bones in his lower leg broke um uh, that was a hard lesson for i was like wow you know and uh uh he so i you know got, that was my my kind of my baptism into rugby uh you got to do it right and uh but you know aside from that and that kind of thing that can happen the game itself is the quintessential training ground for learning how to play in space with guys moving around you, which is what covering kicks in the NFL is about. Who's, who's on your team, who's not, where are they going, what's their idea, what's their, what are they trying to do, what are we trying to do, who's going to help me on my team, who's got leverage, who doesn't, where's the ball, what's he thinking about. Uh, all of that stuff, that, and it, it happens, and being able to evaluate and make judgment in split seconds while you're running full speed uh, – is what rugby is about, and it trains you for that. Uh, now, I also played a lot of special teams when, when I was at Northwestern. I was actually a special teams player at Northwestern, big time. Gotcha. Kick returner, punt, punt coverage guy. I did a lot of kickoff coverages. I did you set a, a record for kick return yards, correct? Kick uh, return average in a season, I don't know. Maybe? Yeah, maybe. I might have. Yeah, yeah. I did a lot. We had, Listen, I played at Northwestern. We were th- we were 0 and 34 when I got there, you know, 0 and 31 oh, when I got there, and we went 0 and 3 to start. So we had the longest losing streak of any Division One school. I was there for the last three games of that streak, and then we proceeded to have a really kind of good the rest of the half of the season. But over my three years there, we won a total of seven games and lost 26 games. So that's a resurgence. I was a good kickoff returner. Right. I got a lot of reps. Right. So. Um, you know, we were losing games, you know, 61 to 23, you know, or 61-21 or 45-20, that kind of thing. Um, so uh, I got a lot of reps and a lot of, you know, a lot of opportunity to return kicks. So I probably did set a record that way just because of the, the quality of the teams that we were playing. But I but I, I, I got to play a lot of special teams in college, covering kicks, learning how, what was going on, covering kickoffs, um, covering a lot of punts and returning all those things too. So – I got a, a quick look, uh, a prolonged look at what it's like to be, a, have a special teams role in the NFL. And so I go into the NFL even as a draft pick, you know, a late rounder, but knowing you can make a difference there. It never struck me like it does so many young players who are high draft picks or who, have, or who were really good college players who never had to play special teams. It never struck me as a – an affront to my abilities to play down and distance, you know. Uh, I was like, no, nah, special teams, you you know, we got to do it. Right. So I was always like, yeah, let, you know, I'm on uh, because I did so much of it in college. And that, that was a real benefit for my mindset rather than 
as as much as it was for my skill set. Yeah, special teams plays are are for big chunks of yards every time, and everybody wants to look past it. And, you know, during practice they send the O-line down, and we're mad because – you know, let's just get this practice moving. Why can't you do special teams before practice so we can only be out here for an hour and a half instead of we're out here for two hours and ten minutes or whatever whatever the time periods may yeah. be. But there is so much value in those plays. And I, I encourage so many guys when I see them in college, especially early on, beg to get on special teams. Beg for that film because I know you think you're going to be a first-round receiver. I know you think you're going to be a first-round safety. Well, you know what? That special teams film will be valuable even if you are. But the chances are – you know, there's only so. Be, you know, yeah. there's only two or three. You know, wide receiver, safeties, whatever position it may be, that will be a first rounder. And I encourage guys to go all out because, you know, I say it at all times. You could be judged on any play that you're on the field at any time. It doesn't matter if it's preseason, regular season, college game, and they can form an opinion on Steve Tasker, on Eric Wood based off of one play. So go show them what you're all about, and, and that's what I try to to speak to these kids. But you know, you were part of the quotes resurgence at uh, Northwestern yeah. you know you got them off the losing streak well you come to Buffalo and they're two and 14 right then you guys go on this epic run which has not been matched in NFL history with the four right. Super Bowls in a row what are some of your most memorable times games maybe get togethers after the game whatever it may be what sticks out to you most as you think back to those times well obviously the thing that sticks back more so than any of the games and the parties and the celebrations and the and the commiserations and you know the I've been to you know, I've been to a lot of losing parties as well, um, but more so than anything else. And you know this too, Eric. That you know it's the guys. You know the mm-hmm. guys you played with, the guys that you hurt with, and the guys that you bled for, and the guys that you you suffered with, uh, and the guys that were in all that hard the hard stuff with you, um, and helped you through it, and you helped them through it. That's the fun thing. I mean, I still have text loops with those old guys that we played with. You know, we still. You know, with Jim Thurman, Bruce Andre, Cornelius Bennett, Daryl Talley, Will Wolford, Chris Moore, uh, all those guys are on text loops with me about, and they're scattered across the country here. You right. Know, and, and they still chime in and keep track of each other, and they make jokes with each other. And, um, you know, technology's really helped with that, you know, with, with uh, social media and stuff and texting and all that. But um, the things that I remember about that group, more so the thing that stands out the, more than anything is the feeling of pride I had of being a part of it. Everywhere I went, particularly, you know, I made my home here in Buffalo. I never left. I right. were here in the off season. We were here during season. We were we were twelve months a year here. Uh, we had all all of our children. Five children were born here in Buffalo. It's home for all of them. So, the the level of pride that I took in being a part of that crew, you know, it, it still stays with me today. Uh, because I know how hard we worked, how much it meant to those guys, uh, how much they sacrificed for it. Um, the guys, the, the head coach Marv and the, all the guys who were on all the staffs that were there, the coaches, um, and the people in the building. Uh, it was, a, it was a, I think it was unusual at the time, but everybody on our team, even the, the guys that were going to the Hall of Fame and the, the head coach, everybody – seemed like we knew everybody else's names in the building the janitors the security guys right the doctors the you know all the trainers of course and the equipment guys they were all part of the family and the equipment guys and the trainers not only were they part of the family, they were like part of the locker room they were they were like almost on the team we right. treated them like teammates uh that atmosphere taught me a lot about what it takes to be successful in a lot of different industries um and how important it is that everybody feels like they have a voice that can be heard, even if if they don't have authority to make a decision, at least somebody's listening to what they have to say. That atmosphere has was an example for me that has stuck with me even today. Yeah, I, I love that you mentioned you knew everybody's name, and, and everybody knew everyone's name. That that always makes a strong impression on me. It, it creates buy-in from the entire organization. You hear, I, Sean McDermott was probably the first one I, I heard emphasize it when he came here, but he, you know, he he brought everybody out to the practice field during OTAs. Everybody from the building and said, "You're all a part of this. We need everybody. We need right. the cooks to be all in, so that we're fed right. We need the strength coaches. We need trainers. We need ticket guys to fill yeah. the stands for home field advantage. We need everybody." And and I love you said that. Um, so you made seven Pro Bowls throughout your career. You were a Pro Bowl MVP, the only special yeah. teamer ever to do that. How cool is that? Yeah. 
and then five-time All-Pro. What ultimately led you to hang up the cleats? It got to the point where, um, for me, and I think it's probably like this for a lot of guys, um, you know, I, I liked, I love training, I like training, I like being in shape, and I knew that for me, a guy my size and stuff, I had to be pretty razor sharp to be effective and compete with the guys that I was, because they were all probably a little bigger and either a little stronger, maybe a little faster, or maybe not as strong, but faster or taller, but whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, everybody brings something to the table, and I had to be ready, you know, to do it. So what came for me, I just got, um, it became too difficult for me to train effectively because of all the nicks and bruises and all the scar tissues and the bat, you know, this shoulder hurts, that ankle sore, this this elbow, I can't do this exercise, I can't do this because of a shoulder, I can't do this because of a knee, whatever. So I spent most of my time training around aches and pains mm-hmm. from the game, and it became really tedious. Uh, and I couldn't it. It was almost impossible to spend enough time in the gym doing the smaller, less dynamic exercises to get less returns. And I, it was hard to get better. Anyway, plus I was 35 when I signed my last contract. Right. So it's hard. You know, you, you feel like it's hard to, to improve anymore. You're just trying to get back to where you once were, basically. And that kind of got exhausting for me. Um, and, I, and, you know, everybody, and here's, you know, young players don't get this sometimes, but everybody can suck it up for three hours on a Sunday afternoon and go out there and give it a great effort mm-hmm. in a game. You can show up, man, because it's hard. You know, you walk down – you know what it's like. You walk down the tunnel at, at Ralph Wilson or the or New Era Field, and that, that'll turn your adrenaline on. Yes, right? it will. Right? And you miss that when you're done. Yeah, yeah. Anybody can walk down that tunnel and get game ready in that environment. But, as you know, you know the games are won Monday through Saturday – when you're preparing to play, mm-hmm. that's when you win the games. And I couldn't prepare well enough during the week to make myself able to play well enough on Sundays. And and I, you know, I just couldn't be effective and uh, play the way I thought I could play. And it was a, good, a couple of times you'd get out there and you might, you know, you'd want to do something and you just couldn't get it done anymore. And I thought, you know, that's it. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna do it i i know too with the when i left it happened to be marv levy retired shortly after i did uh had i wanted to i know that the coaching staff that came in is wade phillips and his crew they they would have kept me around another year i could have squeezed another year out of my career and played for 14 instead of 13 um i couldn't do it i just could not dredge up the passion to go out and prepare to play um that gives you peace and knowing that that you were there how's your body feel now I feel good. I mean, I got aches and pains once in a while, but I'm yeah, I'm 57 now, um, um, and even since I played, since I retired, I've had one shoulder worked on. Uh, you know, I had a hernia surgery, and you know, so, you know, little maintenance things. But I'll tell you this too: the thing that people are like, wow, really? I worked out hard all the time when I was playing. I really did because I felt like I was competing. When I retired. And that's almost in that same instant. That was really the last time I work, worked out. Just really? 21 years ago, 20 years. I'll walk the golf course, and I'll walk my dogs. I'll, uh, I play golf, and I'll swing the golf club and stuff. And I've tinkered around. Maybe I'd try a jog a little bit. I can't keep jog. I don't jog. I don't run. I, I literally lost my entire desire to exercise or work out, Ex- let alone work out. I don't even exercise. Right. So all I do, I, I maintain my weight with my diet, uh, and that's it. Uh, my desire to work out and, and stay fit disappeared 20 years ago, and I haven't seen it since. I don't have any desire. I cannot cook up or dredge up any desire to go work out anymore. I did it so much until I was, you know, from the time I was like 18 until I was 35, I was my life. Mm-hmm. And I loved doing it. It was great. But like I said, it got to the point when I was done and I wasn't competing anymore. I, it totally changed my mindset about what I wanted to do with my free time or whatever. And, and I have not, not, I haven't darkened the, I haven't darkened the door, the door <laughs> of the gym in 20 years. 
and I and maybe I'd feel better if I did that. But I know this. I you know I've dabbled in it. And maybe trying. My wife will talk to me. And let's try for because she's a runner, and I'll go out and try. And run. But you know I'll pop a calf muscle or something, and I'm out for and I'm out for a week and a half, and then I never get back to it. Well, then you can't go I'm, play golf with a pop calf, and right. you don't yeah, want the rest it, of that. It hampers my hampers my vibe if I got to. Yeah. But that it happened to me a lot. I would I would something would give out. I'd pull a muscle, tweak a calf, twist an ankle, or I'd get sore in some way, shape, or form, and I couldn't you know continue. Uh, so I guess I feel great, but I think I'm probably a little bit fragile physically. You know what I right. mean? Right. Yeah, you can't go run down right. or kick off. Right. You get blasted. I can't. I couldn't. You know, I can't do anything with any level of intensity or something will give out. I think you know, but uh, uh, but I like where I'm at. I feel great. Um, got a great quality of life. Uh, I can be as active as I want. We camp and I we backpack and stuff. I'll do that. Uh, with my sons, we'll go. We actually do it in the winter time. We'll go out in the in the snow here in Western New York and camp out in the in the woods uh, in different places and and do that. That's you know. So I'm active enough to do stuff like that and and be a good grandpa and that kind of stuff. But I am completely done working out. Ever. That's funny. Yeah. And and had I got to play till my body kind of crapped out on me, I probably would be in the same boat. I felt like I walked away was forced right. to walk away with so much left in the tank sure. that I enjoy working out still yeah. because, you know, that, that, that gives me something to compete at. And, um, all the time people on Twitter or Instagram will say, what are your workouts like? What do you, what'd you do to lose all the weight where I would start for a lot of people get 10,000 steps in a day, wear a Fitbit, yeah. wear some type of deal that tracks your steps, walk, just walk and, and get your diet right. And yeah. that'll peel off a lot of easy pounds and, yeah. and get you to a point where you can live a functional you, you life. You can't out-train your diet. For sure. Even if you're a pro ball player. You know, if you're going to eat junk, you can eat all the calories you want, but you even, you know, even in training camp, um, you can't out-train the diet. And for me, walking walking a golf course, you know, with a push cart or carrying my bag, uh, you know, it's a five-mile walk, swinging a club, and it's great, you know. it's That's great exercise. But I, for me, uh, it's as much about – scheduling and, and not eating the wrong way mm -hmm. than it is about as, as much as it is actually like i say i don't you know i'll walk a lot yeah but that's it that's as intense as i get five miles because you hit it pretty straight i'm generally a seven mile <laughs> right. seven mile golf course walker <laughs> you mentioned you quit working out talk to me about what that first year was like transitioning out of pro ball i was really lucky because and i think a lot of the guys uh, the smart ones you know they know you know no matter how good you feel, if you're 20, 25, if you're 27, if you're 28, you're closer to the end than you are to the beginning. Uh, I was 35. I, 13 years, I mean, is a mm -hmm. long career. Um, you got to see something on your horizon that you're going to want to try and pursue at the end of it and, and start taking tangible steps to get there. You got to start the transition as early as you can before you – and before you're backed up in a corner and have to. Right. I did that. I was interning at, at, at uh, the ABC affiliate in Buffalo. I went in and, and uh, had my own TV show there for a while. I, I got a, a very fortunate on the timing of when I went in there. And, you know, we started going to the Super Bowl. And now I was, you know, I was kind of doing a lot of broadcast work while I was playing. So when I, when I retired, uh, was fortunate because CBS was getting the NFL back. They screen tested me. They were hiring all new people. It wasn't like some like NBC or Fox or somebody was just going to plug me in someplace. Mm -hmm. CBS was just getting back into it, and they were hiring a hundred new people. So I, I got in on that. And uh, one season, I finished. I finished my career uh, as a player. And opening kickoff the next year, I was in the booth for CBS. Wow. Um, it really helped me that I had been working at it for literally six years before I actually ever had to make a living doing it. And um, that's one thing I think players have going for them as well. You can do stuff in an industry where, that excites you or something you might want to do other than football, and you can do it for your entire career never having to make a living doing it because you can right. make a living playing football. And then when you finish, you kind of got – it's kind of – you're dialed in. You can – you take off and running and make it your career. So that was, for me, my career, one career didn't end so that another one could start. My two careers, the broadcast career that I had after my football career, they overlapped. And I was making my living playing football while I was getting my foot in the door in broadcasting. 
and the transition was that I just stopped getting paid for one and started getting paid for the other, but I was still doing both. Yeah, that's great. For a guy who's hopping out of pro sports and trying to get into the broadcast world, you know, I spent last year trying to get in. What advice, you know, if they're not set up to get a CBS job right yeah. away, if they're not Tony Romo nowadays, right. what are some tangible things they could do to try and help get into that world? Because I know a lot of former players think, you know, when I'm done, I'll do media. I interact with these guys all the time. Well, it's right. not always that easy. No, it's not. Um, you have to find a niche, and you got to find something you're good at. Um, podcasts are a great way to do it. Um, social medias are a great way to do it. I know one of the a good guys who's become a friend of mine, um, he started just on his Twitter account putting up a film clip, and he, and he would talk over the film clip and, and give his take on what's going on. What you know, He was a quarterback, so he'd say, hey, listen, here's what this quarterback's looking at, and he would, he would point it out, and it was really good stuff, obviously. Mm-hmm. And he just started doing that two or three times. And then uh, actually we saw him. Uh, on our show, he started talking about our boy Josh. And uh, he goes, here's what Josh Allen's thinking. Here's some good things. Here's some bad things. Da, da, da. So I was like, well, let's get him on the show. Yeah. You know? And so uh, we have him on our show. And social media, uh, the guys at CBS see the guy. And they talk to him. And say, How about, you know, they have him making a little cameo on our show. So they go, he goes on their thing and he gets seen. So then now he's got a regular gig on ESPN and he's – He's a quarterback guy who who played quarterback, it's, and and uh, he just started by putting stuff on his Twitter account. Are you referring to Dan Orlovsky? Yeah, I love Dan. He's yeah. a great dude. I've known him for a number of years. We've right. had the same agent, and I I was with him at the ESPN College Football Seminar last yeah. week, and you know he is grinding so hard right yeah. now. So he had been doing the get up stuff at ESPN, which starts at six a.m. Right. Get up. Right. Well, he had a two something hour commute from his house, and he didn't want to move his family. So he's commuting back and forth. It might have been longer than that. It might be three or four hours. Right. So he said he was waking up at 2 a.m. Well, the nights that the Monday night game didn't end till close to midnight, he would get two hours of sleep, drive there. Like, Dan. you got to want it. Yeah, absolutely. It's probably worth it for him now. Yep. But there's some dues to be paid. And you got to decide, and you got to know this too, if you're a, a former athlete or anybody who wants to get into the business, you're one of 5,000 who want to get into that business. Right. You're one of 10,000 who want to get into the business. If you're a, uh, a young kid, boy or girl, coming out of a, a college in sports journalism and you want to get into the business, you know, pro athletes have it better because they can literally, and I'm, and I'm saying this seriously, they can go to a, an outlet, either a local TV station, local radio station, uh, start a podcast, whatever. They can do it for free without pay. Just right. let me get my foot in the door. Let me get started and learn the ropes. They don't, and uh, young people, I, I tell them this all the time, if you can do it, work, tell them you'll work for free. They'll Believe me, they'll hire you for free. Yeah. And, but once you get in the door, and if you have to work for free, you'll do it for a while, but you've got to make yourself so that they can't live without you. Then they will have to start paying you. you know? um, internships are awesome. I started as an intern when I, I was, after I went to the Pro Bowl in the NFL. I was an inter, a broadcast intern. Yeah, how about that? Right, but you got to be willing to do that stuff. Yep. Um, you got to. There's a lot of knowledge to be gained by just being in the business and talking to people and getting to know them and how it's done and what they talk about. I had, uh, I might have been used. I was talking to one of the young players who just got out and and uh, he did his first studio thing where he was going to come on and they were going to talk back and forth about who's going to win the game, who's going to lose the game, or who's going to play well or who wasn't. And they talked to him and and uh, they go to the, the veteran guy and he gives his take and they go to the new guy and he gives his take and it's a little bit just like the other guy, right? Right. So they stop it and they say, I'm sorry, I thought you were going to take the other side. So they, they start again and the first guy, the veteran, takes an entirely different tack. He goes, I'm, I think so. he took the opposite tack of what he was going to so they could have some tension there. And it taught him a lesson his first day. Your opinion can be whatever you want it to be. Right. The idea is to be entertaining. You want to see some conflict. So he just changed his opinion to the other side, the other guy did, so that they could disagree. Right. Whether he believed it or not was irrelevant. But they wanted to sh- flesh out the entire topic of who that, why they thought this team would win, and why they thought the other team would win. And you can take either side of it, be, and you know this: you can, 
in your job doing the, the ACC, you're gonna find, you can talk yourself into either one of those teams winning the game. Mm-hmm. And that's what you can pick whichever one of those. Unless it's you Louisville want. playing Clemson this there year. There you go. So <laughs> right, right. Then you got to pick your spots. But that that's the way TV is. Um, you know so much about both teams. You can in picture a hundred scenarios. Fifty this team wins. Fifty the other team wins. Um, and you believe all of them because we can't tell the future. Right. So that in broadcasting, you've got to be nimble and articulate enough to know that that's out there. And you've got a lot. You got to learn how that system works. It's it's people are going to tune in because they want to hear, hear you say it. I talk about their team, right? Whether you agree with it or disagree with it is irrelevant because you just want them to watch, mm-hmm. you know. And it's a it's a subjective business from top to bottom, which means if you if there's a hundred people watching you, there's going to be a hundred different opinions. That's okay, right? That's okay. You know, and your opinion's just one more. You're 101. But you've had, got some experience, and you can articulate some great arguments and how you see it. And the best place to go is when they've got think, they think they've got better arguments than you. And in this day, they'll tweet right at you. Say, right. Well, wait a minute. You know, and that's how you – and as crazy and as superficial as that sounds, that's a career. Mm-hmm. That's a career. A lot of people have made careers being, playing devil's advocate and, and – I believe this is kind of where you were heading. So I'm on the heels of my first game tonight in the radio booth. Mm-hmm. And at the end of this month, I will be doing my first game through ACC Network. And I'm a sideline analyst. You were a sideline analyst right. for a number of years with CBS. What specific advice do you have to me personally for tonight and then moving forward? Well, it's two different jobs, no right. question. In the booth and the radio, you know, it's – for me, it's – in the, ra- the analyst job and the play-by-play guy, two different guys, and basically for people who never thought about it, a play-by-play guy is the guy that tells you what happened. The analyst guy standing right next to him, is he'll tell you why that just happened and what to look for next. And that's, that's the two jobs. Amazingly, the analyst job is a lot more creative than people think about because – of the 20, there's 22 guys on the field. You can talk about 22 different things, plus either head coach, mm-hmm. plus topics about each team that led up to this point of this in the game. So there's all those, you know, there's 50 topics that you could talk about after every play. And the creative comes in picking the most interesting one to the most people who are listening mm-hmm. at the right time, at the right moment. And your timing's great. You're, and as a player, you have a feel for the game. And, and, mostly for me, most analysts and people know this, they talk about what's right in front of them. The game, the game comes to them and you say, you know, on this play, you know, they, you know, the offensive line, what, you know, they, you talk about specifics and all that and you kind of keep it right in front of you. But on the radio too, you have to make, say it in such a way that people can picture it in their mind. Mm-hmm. You, know, they, you know, the colors of the uniforms, which direction they're headed, you know, who's at one end of the field, who's at the other. And, and, you know, all of that stuff that you pick up when you watch the game, right? People kind of try and see in their mind's eye, and you have to explain the game while it's happening, while giving them a way to picture it. It's pretty. It sounds complicated, uh, and in some ways it is. But when you when you've played and when you do, people you know you you pick it up and and it's it's a lot of fun to do. I think I think it's a it's a it's a really fun job to do, on the, and on the sidelines. For me, and you know this too. I mean, you've, we spent our lives standing on the sidelines watching the game, mm-hmm. you know, watching the defense play or whatever, being real close. And I think that's the thing that that changes a broadcast for listeners and viewers. When you got a guy who's standing there and watching it, and, because that's when you can feel the contact and the violence and the emotion and the intensity, you kind of radiate off the field. Um, I tell people a story. You know, I'd been doing the broadcast thing for a long time, and I think I was like 18 years into my broadcast, and I was doing a Monday night football game on Westwood One Radio. Pittsburgh Steelers in Cincinnati. And I'm on the sidelines, and I'm, I picture the field, and I'm, I'm there. The Steelers have the ball at the far end of the field to my right, and they're coming towards me. I'm at the far end of the bench area. I'm standing at the 20 yard line opposite the 20 yard line at the other end of the field where they are. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm looking, you know, t- 
to my right as, as they're coming towards me. Ben Roethlisberger drops back to pass way down the other end of the field and hits Mike Wallace on – this is back when it was. Mike Wallace was with the Steelers. Hits Mike Wallace on a slant on the far side of the field. So he's coming kind of towards me when he catches it. He catches that slant and turns up the field and runs almost right at me. And I'll never forget it because he turns and runs right at me under the lights on a Monday night football game, and all 22 players on the field turn and start running right at me as well, all 22 of them. Yeah. So the whole thing is coming right at me. He's trying to turn the corner from the other side of the field, and he's going across the field, coming right down me at me. And three Cincinnati Bengal defensive backs are running right with him, and – one of his teammate wide receivers of the Steelers is running right with him. And there's five guys coming, and everybody else is trailing behind him. And they tackle him right five yards from me, right away from me, just right across in front of me out of bounds. You could feel the ground shake. And it ha- they were moving at full speed, you know, full gallop. Five super athletes, and they fall in a jumble that you could feel and see and hear. You could hear the body, the grunts and the groans and the get up. And I thought, man, somebody's dead. That looked like a car wreck. Right. All of them met there at the same place. Nobody was giving up. The kid tried to stay in bounds. They put, it, was a, it was a violent collision. All five guys piled on. And they rolled across the ground in front of me. And you could feel the vibrate on the ground. You could feel it in your feet. And I thought, man, somebody's not getting up. They all hop up like like they just jumped in the pool. Right. They hop up, and they were yapping at each other, and they were all, like, feeling like they got the those DBs. We ran you down, you know, and you got that, and they just ran off like they were in a park someplace. They were having such fun doing that. And I man, you, want to, you don't want to know why the NFL is a mega 800-pound gorilla. That's it. Right. And that, as a sideline reporter, you get a look into the emotion and the intensity. You get to see when guys come out of the huddle and they're making eye contact across the line of scrimmage. And there's something going on outside of this play. Mm-hmm. They've got a history. And you see a, a quarterback who's looking out, and he's looking at the Mac, the Mike linebacker, and the Mike linebacker's walking in circles, chain, turning his back and then walking in a different – trying to fool him as to where he's going to line up. And the quarterback's watching and looking at the play clock – and looking at the Mac, and the guy's not giving him an edge on where he's going to line up. So he's, got, so he's got to do it quick. All that stuff that goes on that's nonverbal and all the emotion that goes on, you know what it's like. You get down inside there, it's big guys who are strong pushing against each other. People in the stands and people at home, man, they can't see it. Mm-hmm. They, and that's, I think, if you've got a sideline reporter who can feel that and, and – relay that emotion and the argument that's going on the sideline between two teammates or a coach and a player and the injury and a guy who's hurt but he doesn't want to get looked at. He's going back in the game no matter what. Or a guy, you know what I mean? Or a guy who, who just can't go back in the game because he's hurt. Uh, the conversation between the trainer and the head coach and the, and the look on the head coach, you know, who's got a thousand things on his plate. How's he react to that news, you know? It's – it's really dramatic uh, because it's a bunch of guys, men, grown men playing for real keeps. It's, and that's, I think as a sideline guy, that's what I relished the most was that. That's great advice, and that's as well as I've heard it put and as descriptive as anyone's been with me giving advice, especially on the sideline role. So I, I absolutely appreciate that. One of my concerns getting into broadcasting, and we'll check it out this fall how it works out, is I'm going to be gone a lot, especially yeah. doing both games. You and your wife have five children. Was that ever tough being gone? You know, yeah. post. You know, a lot of times when you're done with your career, everyone says, "Oh, you're retired now." And Joe Thomas was on the podcast talking about how this past year, everyone just assumed he was available, yeah. and I, and I'm not. I have stuff going on. No, right. I I understand. I am not playing football, but I am not done working right. forever. I'm not sitting at home on the couch. All right? Day, you know? Was it tough being away? Yeah, you know, for me, um, with doing the CBS thing, I had we, I, you know, you're home Monday through Thursday night, mm-hmm. and there is an off season as well. So I had a lot of free time, but during the fall, I mean, I didn't get to watch my boys play high school football very much. Mm-hmm. Uh, my daughter, you know, soccer player, I didn't get to watch her play too much. Uh, there were a lot of things on a yearly basis I never got to be a part of, and I, my wife and I had long conversations about it, and we just said, "Listen, we get it." Uh, it's a great job. There's no question. We love doing it. It's, it's, 
um, it's everything we wanted to do. You know, I love working for CBS and, and um, it afforded us a great lifestyle and, and everything that it meant. But it also did afford us some times in the year where I was on the, I was gone every weekend. Um, and this my last year at CBS, I did a daily radio show and, until 3 o'clock on Friday afternoons. Saturday morning at 4 a.m., I got picked up and I was gone for the weekend. Wow. Uh, so it was a seven-day-a-week grind throughout 17 weeks of the season last year. So, But there's an off-season, uh, and there always was an off-season when I was doing the CBS thing. And my wife and I had long conversations, and we came to think, listen, when you're working, you gotta, you got to work, and you got to prepare to work, and you got to be ready to do it. But when, you know, when the downtimes come, you got to make it count. And that was kind of our mantra. When the off-season came, I was going to be at everything. Yeah, uh, I was going to be a part of everything. We were going to do things together, and we did. We kind of we we stayed true to that. So when you can work, yeah, do your job. Uh, when you're not working, be present at home. You know, be there and be a part of the family and disengage from that and and engage fully engage and make make the good times count. Uh, and if they're abundant, hey, it's all the better. Right. But if they're few and far between, uh, make those count and. Uh, uh, and that's kind of the mantra we live by, and it it served us well. Our kids seem to be well adjusted because of it. Now <laughs> we're yeah. empty nesters now, so it's, yeah, it's been a while. Yeah, and that that transitions perfectly where I was going next. Uh, five children. I got to spend time with two of your sons. That's right. Jake was an excellent equipment staff assistant, yeah. and Deke was great in the weight room. Right. Jake looks like he could be more my son than yours. Yeah. And had a really fun exchange on Twitter when I said. Hey, it was really fun having my son out at training camp working, and yeah. everyone kept responding like, "Oh man, that is really cool. You got your son out there." I'm like, "You look alike." How old do you guys think right. I am that right. I could have a son that's 20? Right. Uh, but we 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 I had I had so much fun with both of your sons in in much different roles. What do you look forward to most about being an? I know you know people. Some people dread being an empty nester. Some people are really looking forward right. to it. What are you looking forward to most? Well, we've uh, we kind of made that transition. Our youngest is now Jake, your kid that looks like you. Mm-hmm. He's going into his senior year of college. Uh, he spent the summer away. He's living in Ann Arbor uh, as an intern, um, doing work over there. Um, so it's my wife and I in our house. But here's the thing: so we're at the point now where our oldest son Deke, who you worked with in the weight room as mm-hmm. a strength conditioning assistant. Um, He's got a wife and two kids now. They're expecting their third, and he lives three or four minute drive from us. So we now we're we're not empty nesters anymore. We're oh grand, yeah, we're, we're the grandparents deluxe now. We've got in the same house that we raised our five kids. Now we're we've got grandkids a couple of times a week, um, which has been it's unbelievable uh, to see how wonderful it's been for us here in Buffalo. Uh, you know, with the, the kids all seem to be flourishing. Our grandkids are in our lives all the time, and we see them and do things. And uh, I'm working with the team, again, on the radio and stuff. And so it, we're as busy and uh, as happy in what we're doing now as we've ever been, even at the even at the height of our career when I was, you know, when I was all pro. It, it's as fun now to be me as it was then, uh, just for different reasons. Me and my wife just had this conversation. We feel like each chapter we were together in college, we had a lot of fun. But then the pros were even better, yeah. and we had more fun there. And we had more fulfilling memories. It was more, you know, our kids were born and, and all that. Yeah. And we had Pro Bowls and trips. And sure. I shouldn't say Pro Bowls. I had a Pro Bowl. <laughs> and uh, I don't want to speak out of turn there. Someone will call me out for it. But I had, you know, certain trips and whatnot that we had sure. an absolute blast. But – our challenge now is to make this next chapter more rewarding, more fun, and, and I love to hear uh, your take on that. You were on the Bills Wall of Fame and have been a finalist for the Pro Football Hall of Fame. A semifinalist. Semifinalist, sorry. Yeah. Another correction. Yeah, well, I don't want to, you know, you don't want to step on anybody's toes. Absolutely. Know? Yeah, and I understand that. Call fr- us out. I, yeah, that fraternity yeah, takes I, it very serious. But, how, yeah. how important is it to you to make it in one day? No, it's not. Um uh, I don't think the 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 I don't think the Pro Football Hall of Fame is for guys like me. Uh, I and I tell this to people a lot. I had I had a nice career, a great career. I would not change m- too much about my career at all. I might have dodged a hit or two. You know, maybe that's the extent of the change I would make. Uh, 
I had a fun career. I was on a great team. And my career was unique, certainly, because I did, you know, I was in a part of the game that nobody had really exploited up to that time. Um, you know, I went to the Pro Bowl all those times as a special teamer, and I was MVP of the Pro Bowl, too, which mm-hmm. had never been done. Uh, I was on that team that went to four Super Bowls. I, I benefited greatly uh, in my level of awareness around the country because I was on a team with Jim Thurman, Bruce, and Andre, and, and James Lofton, and Marv Levy, and Bill Polian, and all the guys are in the Hall of Fame. I benefited greatly from being on that team. Uh, I did, certainly, uh, I contributed in, you know, in some instances. I played well. Uh, and and had a, a, a lot of fun, but I think, and, and I appreciate the conversation people have with me about the Hall of Fame, and you know they always say, hey, we think you should be in, you know, as a as an icebreaker to come up and talk to you or whatever. Right. But I think the Pro Football Hall of Fame is, uh, I mean, I'm it's it's not the Pro Football Hall of Unique. It's Pro Football Hall of Fame. Um, and I, when I see, and it happens every year when it happens, I, and you know because I get asked a lot at that time of year. Right. When you see guys like Tony Gonzalez and Champ Bailey and Ed Reed going in, um, like Pat Bowling going in, and you see uh, all the tremendous players that go in, I have a real hard time sitting there and the list of guys that I, Bruce, Jim Thurman, Andre, James Lofton, Marv Levy, Bill Polian, and then those guys I just mentioned this year from Ed Reed to Tony Gonzalez to Champ Bailey. I have a real hard time putting myself on that roster. And I get that, and I appreciate your humility, but I would argue you were the best in the world at what you did for a long period of time, and a lot of people argue that you were the best of all time at what you did. And in in a day and age where now they're starting to put punters in and niche players, I think that warrants more of a discussion for you because now they're – and I agree – I agree with what you said, but I think the trend and what they're doing, you know, is a punter affecting a game like some of these quarterbacks that are waiting to get in or receivers right. that, you know, there's a long list of receivers that right. people think should be in. So I would I would give you that counter argument, but yeah. I do really appreciate your humility. Under the uh, – under the, here's the thing, too, and the, and the voters will tell you this. There's constraints. They can only put so many guys in a year, and – there's you know a couple of dozen guys every year that retire, and there's always one or two every year that you think, wow, he's really mm-hmm. either sometimes man that guy's as soon as he's eligible he's in. When Tom Brady retires, five he's going in. Absolutely, you know Peyton Manning same. We're we're just waiting for the five years to clear, and Peyton Manning's going to go in. There are guys like that, you know, virtually every year. Uh, sometimes a couple a year, and sometimes one a year. But on average, there's a guy like that every year, and then you know so you. And then there are other guys who should be in who are just have to wait their turn. But because of the limitations of how many guys they can put in and who they can vote for, uh, you know, whether I deserve to be in or not, would they never be, get down that far down the list? You know what I mean? Um, and I don't have a problem with it. I, it's, it's humbling to think about it. Um, I, I still wouldn't have traded anything for the career I had. Uh, I love the guys I played with. I love that this, you know, the organization still treats me great. Um, the fans here in Buffalo still, you know, they're now they're getting older now that you have to be a little older now to remember who I, you know, to remember me as a player. Mm-hmm. But still, yeah, why would I change any of that, you know, even uh, um, or make try and make it better or whatever after the fact? So I'm, I'm not really, I don't want to, you know, I'm not going to mount a campaign for that. I mean, there's, you know, some, you know, crazy fans, you know, that, Make websites and sign their yeah. and my and God bless him. Marv Levy still writes letters to those guys on my behalf, and he sends me a copy of it. So he's a sweetheart for doing that. And Jim and Thurman are always loud mouthing my. But you know, I'm not going to mount a campaign to get in mm-hmm. there. And I, I I am perfectly happy with the with the life I've got, uh, without trying to pump up the life I used to have. Man, that's well said. And and I read one of Marv's letters in preparation for this podcast, and very humbling that one of the greatest coaches of all time would be taking his time out to do that. At this point, we'll move on to our recurring questions. So these are fun to compare guys' yeah, okay. answers. Um, if all jobs in America paid the same, what would you do for a living? Pro golfer. I, I, I go back and forth between pro golfer and country music singer. 
That's a good one. <laughs> I think, ah, yeah, that's a good one. I don't know. That's a good one. I don't know if the pro country music singer, you might be on the road too much. Right. Golfers are going to be on tour, so you'd be touring around, but you'd be kind of a – well, I guess – I could yeah. do the Bruce, uh, the Brooks Kepka approach and only practice for majors, like right. he claims. Yeah, right. Yeah, that's true. I mean, yeah, you'd program. Yeah, if it all paid the same, though, I think I'd rather be. I think I'd be rather be on the golf course. Nice. Yeah. Speaking of which, how is your golf game? Neglected right now. Yeah. What's your cap? Uh, it's rising, but it's still it's like two point nine now. It's strong. It's rising. Because I haven't played in, literally, I haven't played in six weeks, except for one scramble tournament that I did for the alumni. So, I'm, you know, it's training camp starts, and I'm mm-hmm. you know, you're out of the saddle. So, it's a little bit neglected now. Should, you should be popping over to Kill from training camp. I know. It, who's got time for that, though? Right. What's your favorite course you've played? My course that I play here in Buffalo is, is one of my favorites ever. It's Cragburn Golf Club in East Aurora. I love it, too. Yeah, it's a great course. Um there's another course that I got a chance to play uh, called Old Head in Ireland, southern tip of Ireland. It's I think it's the third most southern point on the on the Ireland island of, and I played there. It was a phenomenal piece of property. It's it's a, it's the most unique course I've ever seen. That was that's a favorite one, um, and there's probably another one that I've played and I'm and I'm missing that is a real favorite of mine. But those those were great. That. Old Head in Ireland and Cragburn here in, in Buffalo. I'll have to put Old Head on my on my bucket list of courses. What's your favorite book? Uh, I, let's see. I read a book. Um, not it wasn't recently. Let me think who what it was. Gosh, that's a good one. Now I'm going to have a hard time remembering what it was. I'll never remember. What was the premise? The prem. Oh, I, I know what it was. <laughs> I, I'm kind of golf preoccupied. It was called The Match. Gotcha. It's a true story about a golf match that took place back in the 50s, maybe the early 60s, uh, probably 50s, uh, at the Bing Crosby Clambake, uh, a match that took place between two pro golfers and two amateur golfers that was a wager between two other guys about pros and amateurs this Mm -hmm. is there was a question mark back in the early 50s or in that the the mid 20th century about whether it was better to be an amateur golfer or a pro golfer Uh, and at that point who were the better golfers in the country were they amateurs or were they pros and it was a big question at that point in in american history and these two guys were at the bing crosby clam bacon they were one of the dinners at a private home and they were talking to rich guys and they started bickering back and forth and they you know they started get into a into a you know a pissing match and they made him a wager so it was a and this golf match was a result of this wager between byron nelson and ben hogan as pros and ken venturi and charlie ward as amateurs and it is a fantastic read should I ask you who won, or should I wait and read it myself? No, you can read it. Okay, you read it. I'll check it it's out. It's great. It's worth reading. What role does your faith play in your life? Uh, I'd like to say that it's the foundation of everything. I make every big decision from it. Uh, my father was a minister, so I learned at an early age. Um, I kind of made it my own. Yeah, I'd read on. that. And uh, it's it's a large part of my life. Um, my values are all based on on that on it um you try to live it um you try to be a good example of it you don't always succeed um but um yeah every decision all the major decisions all the decisions of consequence and and some that were of no consequence are all put through my the prism of my faith in christ you mentioned the word foundation. If I was to answer that question myself, that's exactly how I would say that is our foundation. That's that is the rock we stand on. That's why we are able to withstand storms right. and keep joy about us. And and I'll give you some credit. You say you don't know how well you always acted out. Well, you 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 always see a reflection of somebody in their children. And I got the awesome opportunity to be around two of your sons. Right. And and they're a great 
model of what you want kids yeah. to be like. They work their tails off. They're doing something fulfilling now and all that. So um, I give you cre- you and your wife credit there, but yeah. maybe more your wife because you're, yeah, you you got so much. Her, I, it's funny too because you know I, now that my son, I've got thirty one year old son, I've got a thirty year old daughter, I got a twenty eight year old son, twenty five year old, and now the twenty one. Um, at their age, and I know that they maybe they they interact with me differently and everything, but they're uh, they're better people than I was at their age, you know. Uh, that's in large part to their mom, and you know, it's as much as that as anything, and and the and the life we've been able to lead here in Buffalo. But mm-hmm. uh, I'm really proud of the kids. They they seem to be doing very well, and uh, and it's nice to hear that feedback from people who, you know don't have to say it right good deal what's your favorite restaurant in buffalo and then your favorite wing spot well i was at the bar bill last night so Mm. that's the wing spot um in east aurora i live about literally two minute drive from the from the bar bill we were there i was there last night with andrew catalan we're getting ready for this. that's my favorite wing spot as well i'm still mad i didn't get that yeah (laughs) i should have known (laughs) my favorite restaurant is probably in east aurora too uh rick's on maine it's a little, it's a little high end restaurant. Down Great on spot, Main, uh, particularly in the summertime, where you can sit out on the on the deck right there on Main Street in East Aurora. That's a fantastic place too. What was your first car? A nineteen seventy three Opel Manta. I don't know. Look it up. Yeah, I, I have standard shift had a stick shift. Uh, yeah, it was great. I'll just assume it was really nice. Very nice. Yeah. Yeah. Don't assume. What was your first job? I was a farmhand. I drove tractor, uh, moved irrigation pipe, ran, uh, you know, drove tractor with a different implements on it and stuff. Working fallow ground for a, a guy, a guy that I, but I knew and, or he knew me, my dad, and uh, I worked for him in the summers uh, when I wasn't in high school. I'd go out and ride a tractor, and, and it was, it was literally twelve hours a day, mm. all day, every day, or six days a week in the summers, and that's how you know I made money doing it and. Uh, it was uh, that was my first job. That's great discipline. Yeah. What was your favorite? What is your favorite movie? Ooh, that's a good one. That's a good question. I'm a big Star Wars guy. Um, I wouldn't have pinned you on that. Yeah? Huh? I wouldn't have pinned you on that. Yeah, I'm a I'm a big Star Wars guy. Um, favorite movie? Yeah, I don't know. Man, that's a hard one because I've got I've seen a thousand and fifty movies. I think. Um, I was a big fan of the Alien movies too, the horror movies. That great movies. Uh, I would say if I was going to pick one, I liked um, the uh, Rogue One Star Wars movie. It's a standalone movie on the new when Disney bought Star Wars franchise and they started making their own. This was kind of a side story uh, to one of the epic six, you know, epic episode one through sixes. This is a side episode, Rogue One. I thought that was a really good standalone movie for Star Wars. I'll, I'll say that. We're gonna we're gonna hit a new uh, audience with Star Wars talk. I'll have to tag them when I put it yeah, out yeah. there. There is there are so I many. I like the Rogue One. I, I yeah. thought it was really good. I thought it was really good. Who's the most famous person in your phone? Probably, yeah, probably Jim Kelly or Thurman. Uh, I don't have. Uh, I don't know. Famous. Jim might be mine as well. Yeah, he might be. I I, I don't know if there's anybody. Uh, maybe some of the CB. I don't know if I got. I don't think I got Jim Nance in my phone. I might have Jim in my phone. Phil Sims is in my phone. Mm-hmm. Uh, Boomer. I don't think Boomer's in my phone. Yeah, probably one of those guys is CBS or somebody like that. Yeah. Good deal, Jim. Well, this has been fun. Very uh, selfishly, this was very important information for me to hear. I love the talk on you know, getting into the broadcast world, transitioning out. It's fun catching up with you, and I truly appreciate your time. Hey, good luck with your stuff in the radio booth for the first time this year, Voice of the Buffalo Bills. You might be getting that job at a quintessential moment in history because I think I got high hopes for this team this year, so we'll see what happens. But I think it's going to be a lot of fun this year doing that game. I agree. I agree. I love the direction that the franchise is in. I love the people running it from the top down. Uh, really excited as well. I agree with you. I, the, the ownership's in the right spot. Their heart's in the right spot. They make great disciplined decisions, and the people in them with Brandon and Sean, I mean, they have they have really stayed disciplined and made really sharp choices about things. Now, you know, 
like you and I both know, there isn't any guarantees about whether it's all going to work out. But man, oh man, they, they seem to have done everything right. So it's going to be fun to watch. I agree. I agree 100%. Thanks, Steve. All right, man. Throughout my NFL career, I worked with many custom clothing companies. Guys would come from around the country and set up shop in our facility and try and sell us clothes. And no one has compared to someone I work with locally in Louisville, Jordan Yoakum with Tom James. He is an expert concierge that can save you time. You know, I don't even have a full-time job right now, and it's hard for me to go to the mall and pick out clothes or to order something online, and it generally doesn't fit, and then I either got to go get it tailored or me and my wife got to go send it back. Put an end to that. Jordan works within a 100-mile radius of Louisville, Kentucky, and he will come to you with the clothes, and it's great. You can contact Jordan at j.yokum at tomjames.com or visit the website tomjames.com for more info. Let Jordan create a game plan with you for your wardrobe, just like we did preparing for NFL defenses, but instead of attacking defenses, you'll be attacking your next business meeting, wedding, or derby event in style. That's j.yokum, Y-O-C-U-M, at tomjames.com. And when you contact Jordan, make sure you tell him Eric Wood sent you. Thank you for listening to What's Next with Eric Wood, presented by Green Remedy. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you did, please rate it five stars and subscribe. That goes a long way for us with this podcast. Tune in in a couple weeks for another new episode.